Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. There was a time when, by law, nearly everything was closed on Sunday. While religious in origin, U.S. courts upheld these laws on the secular basis that rest is good and vital. Founding pastor Randy Pope brings us this sermon entitled The Importance of Rest and Perspective, which covers Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 12 to 15. For more for information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I uh, am often being asked, how's retirement going? And so I hear that all the time. Uh, not every day, but most days, sometimes more than once a day. And uh, I want you to know I still am full-time at the church here. Uh, I still am doing that. My job has greatly changed and it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, two reasons. One, I feel like I'm back in 77, 1977, where we're trying to dream and think and figure out how do we, uh, how do we reach around the perimeter of Atlanta, Georgia, and so forth. And what an exciting time. But now I'm reliving that same experience. Now with a, a different goal, but taking discipleship, which many of you would know that is a, a passion of mine, and being able to think through how are we going to train and equip churches all over the world, and we're seeing that take place in a unique way. So I'm, I'm just as thrilled as could ever be. But the second reason is to know that we've got Jeff and the team that uh, he has put together and all of the leadership that's been here for so long and our officers. I'm telling you what, uh, what a privilege for me to sit back and say nothing has changed. It just keeps going, and I just am thankful for that. So anyway, it's been a great uh, experience for me. And... And I just feel honored that, you know, here we're doing Young Leader Series and they end it with me. That's just, uh, I mean, what a, I, I'm going to have to tell Jeff how old I am at some point, but I don't know when that's going to happen. But uh, anyway, actually, I'm not part of the series, but I get to do something very special for me, and that is, it's called a one-off. We call that when we're not a part of a series. I'm, I'm not teaching series here anymore, but, but from time to time, I'm able to come in and do what we call a one-off, one sermon. It kind of stands alone. So uh, usually, unless it's something specific asked, I'll, I'll say, well, what is to me, what is the message that I could give that would be the biggest difference maker that could actually make a major, major, major difference? And then I thought in terms of all our young people that are here, I said, now let me just specifically think, what about our young people? What would I talk about? And as a result of that, uh, I thought about the subject matter of rest and perspective. I've been thinking a lot about it lately. Rest and perspective. Without which, by the way, life spins out of control. Have you ever seen our world spinning more out of control than it is today? And I'm not just talking about politically and so forth. I'm talking about in every realm. It just seems like it's spinning out of control. And I'm talking physically, mentally, emotionally. I think it's safe to say that there's no lack of occupancy in hospitals and rehab facilities and mental institutions and prisons. I don't, because of the very problem of the lack of rest and perspective. Not the only reason, but a primary two reasons. In some ways, I feel that we're like a people who are not in shape to run and find out we have to run a triple marathon. What's going to happen to someone who runs a triple marathon and they're not in the condition to do so? 
You know what's going to happen physically, emotionally, in every way. There's going to be a breakdown. At some point, there will be a breakdown. And that's what's happening in lives all over this world. There's a, an article I read five years ago, 2016, out of Time Magazine. It's entitled, Anxiety, Depression, and the Modern Adolescent. Now, in that, this is what I found. It said, and, and I should say this too. This is five years ago, so I am understating my case when you hear these statistics. You know it's only gotten worse. 30% of girls, 20% of boys have experienced anxiety disorders. 30% of teens felt hopeless at least two consecutive weeks in that year. 1.7 million hits on hashtag self-harm in 2014. And one year later, 2015, it jumps to 2.4 million people. Here's what I found interesting. When I read that article, the two words rest and perspective came out multiple times. Secular writing saying, we know this, rest and perspective are at the root, the lack of those two at the root of so many of these problems. Now I speak to the Christian. I speak to you young people. Our designer, our creator, he's given us an incredibly clear divine remedy. It's simply the seventh day rest. We've all been aware of it. We hear about it. We read about it as we did in our service today. And it, it seems like, yeah, that's a part of the Christian life. It's called a seventh day rest. What we fail to realize is that it is a rest that has the intention of leading to perspective. It's getting the right perspective. God says, I'll give you this rest, and now here's what I want you to use this rest to do. It's to gain perspective. Ben Patterson, in his writing, he says, Sunday is a window into this world that gives us a peek into the next. I've thought for years and years of the analogy of seeing the Lord's day like a big room with four walls and there is no door to get out. There is one window to look out and in the middle of that room is just one item and that is a treadmill. And I see that room as the life that we live in. It's the years that God gives us, different for each person, but here's the years that God has given to us. And he says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on that treadmill and God says, I want you to run six days on that treadmill. You're going to need to run, and you'll have to run pretty hard. We don't want you to run too hard, but we want, you to, we want you to use that treadmill. Seven days, six days, you go on it hard. But here's what I want you to do. On that seventh day, I want you to step down off that treadmill, and I want you to go over to the only thing in this room you can see outside the walls, and that is a window. You can't see really what's out the window. It's far away from the treadmill. It is from the treadmill. But you say, I, I want you to walk over to that window. And I want you to go to that window. And I want you to stare out that window as much as you can. And I want you to do that one day a week. And what you're going to see is you're going to see eternity. You're going to see that which is eternal. And what it's going to do, it's going to bring back into 
that experience of six days of running that you're about to take hold of again, and it's gonna give you a brand new perspective, a perspective that's gonna change the way you see your reason for running, why you run, how you run, every aspect, you bring back an eternal perspective. I like to suggest that God's word teaches us that this seventh day rest is his divine remedy. He says, this is what I wanna give you so that you can find rest and perspective. I'm gonna suggest three things we learn about the Lord's day. Very simple, very brief. Here's number one, I'll put it on the screen. God designed us to spend one day a week remembering the past. One day a week remembering the past. Now, when we think about remembering the past, we're remembering what about the past? Well, remembering, first of all, God's work as creator. And so we read in Exodus chapter 20 that we've already read at the beginning part of the service in the uh, catechisms. Exodus 28 through 11 reads like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You shoot you and your son or your son or daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, God is creator. The past, what do we do? Well, how do I use that time? If I go stare out that window, what am I really looking for? What I'm looking for is, God, give me perspective. And the first thing he says is, Remember this, remember me as your creator, your creator. You know, there's nothing more important than that. I mean, if we don't understand that, we've missed it all. In fact, I'll suggest to you that that's why the Bible begins with those very words, in the beginning, God created. If you don't get that, you're gonna lose all perspective about everything. I'd love to take walks. Different people, some people can't take walks. Uh, there are different ways to do this. But for me, to take a walk is a great way. To be outside is a great way. I love the outdoors anyway. But I have a, a walk many, many, many days of the week. Usually when it's pretty weather and I can't, I take a walk. But particularly on Sunday, I love my walks on Sunday. I have a particular route that I take, and part of it takes me through some wooded areas. When I get there to the wooded part, uh, I say then, if not before, at that point, I'll say this, okay, Lord, I'm entering into this time. I'm gonna invite you to show off a little to me, which ideally means I'm gonna see some deer as I walk. I love that. I love that. And every time I pray that he'll show me deer and he does show me deer, I just am convinced that's an answer to prayer. However, I pray that every day and I don't see deer, but every so often. But anyway, it's... <laughs> And I just see those deer and I think, okay, I'm gonna stare at you as long as you'll let me. And I'm gonna get as close to you as you'll let me. And I look at that deer and I say, look how it runs. God, that's amazing. And then I, then I see squirrels all the time. And I see a little squirrel and I look at that squirrel and I say to that little squirrel, how do you jump so high with such little legs? How do you do that? And then you grab hold of anything 
And you have such little, tiny, tiny, tiny fingers. How do you do that? And I say, God, I know how they do it. They do it because of you. Because you created the impossible in them. And you're the creator worthy of my life for sure. So he said, just remember me as creator. A lot of ways you can do that, looking at books of God's creation. There's all kinds of ways, I know. But first of all, he says, just remember me as your creator. Now here's what's so interesting. When you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter five, it's a giving of the 10 commandments again. But instead of the last verse that we just read, because the Lord rested and so forth, remember that and so forth, his creation, now it changes the reason why to keep the Lord's day. And this is what it says in verse 15 of chapter five. It says, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Now this is right after it says, keep the Lord's day. Why? You shall remember that you were a slave in the, hand, in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see, that's how the people of Israel were redeemed by the work of God, which points to the redemption that comes to us in salvation through Jesus Christ. And he says, so here is the reason for the Lord's day. It's to remember the, the, the God is creator, yes, but also you've got to remember him as redeemer. He's the one that redeems you. And when you see that, you go, oh my goodness. You see, if we forget to get perspective, to remember that he's our redeemer, you know what's going to happen to us? Very quickly, we're going to lose perspective on life. We really will. We lose perspective about life. And pretty soon we begin to think, you know, this kingdom on earth, this is really all there is. And therefore, I better make my time on this earth so valuably good. And I have to have everything just, I've got to make this the best of the best of the best. And then the next thing you know, we don't get the best and we want to be married and we don't find that person. We get married. We lose that person. We want that child. We don't get that child. We lose that child. Whatever it happens, my job, I've got to have money. I don't get the money to make this life everything it could be. I have an illness. Now I can't live out the years and the life and the health that I want. God, why? And it's just, we lose perspective so very, very quickly. But we don't just lose perspective on life. We also lose perspective on the Christian life. And even as God's redeemed, we begin to, we begin to think that really, you know, life is designed for us to enjoy it. As opposed to, no, no, no. No, it's a, it's a time to enjoy him. This kingdom we live in with another kingdom that we keep looking to. We say, no, 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 I'm to enjoy you while I'm in this kingdom. That's what it's really all about. Next thing you know, we think that, okay, I guess what this is all about is, is really about being happy. That that's what God wants me more than anything else. He really wants me just to be happy. Well, yes and no. What he really wants, he wants you and me to be holy. And he says, you know what? When you become holy people, that's how you find the truest of happiness. It's not by the experiences of this kingdom that do bring happiness, but not, it can't compare to the happiness that he wants us to enjoy. Many, many of us 
We lose perspective. The next thing you know, we're people who give up on God, even as Christians. We go through periods where we say, you know what? I just don't like what you do to me, God. I feel like I'm a victim. I don't, I don't trust you. I'm angry at you. I'm certainly disappointed in you. Do you know what that is? That's just a loss of perspective. The same person can go through those same things. It happens to so many godly people. But they have perspective and they say, oh, no, no, no. It's a totally different thing. So number one, God designed us to spend one day a week just remembering the past. So young people, everybody can remember the past. Just remember the word past. And when you start thinking about how would I do this? I'm gonna give you some practical aids as I end, but, but just remember, maybe I need to spend some time on his day, go into that window and just peering out the window. But to get to the window, I've got to give up some things probably that would interfere from me getting there. But I'm gonna get in and I'm gonna look out that window just to remember the past. Number two, God designed us to spend one day a week reevaluating the present. I like the way Gordon McDonald writes in one of his books. He says, it's a time to interpret our work, to press meaning into it, and to make sure we know to whom it is dedicated. Don't we tend to think that our real problem is that we have dis, uh, disoriented schedules and, and we have uh, disordered schedules? It's just, that's our problem. It's our scheduling. We've got too much going on. That's not the problem. It may be a problem. It's not the problem. It's really a disordered life. That's the real issue. And that's why God says that's going to happen. That's why you need to get off that treadmill, go to the window and peer and see what you see. I'm going to suggest that that time is a time of self-assessment. It's a time of, uh, to reevaluate your life. I've called it through the years, my P, P and P time. Some of you've heard me refer to that before. It's pencil, paper, and prayer. It's a time to sit down and, and be able to say, okay, I, I just need to, to think through some things right now. I need to evaluate what the present is right now for me. And I'm going to put four things up. You might want to note them. Perhaps it'd be helpful to remember a good way if you chose to have a, a pencil, paper, and prayer time. The first is it's a time to reevaluate our spiritual progress and disciplines. Just simply to say, you know, how am I doing? Am I, am I making progress now? Am I not? Why am I not? What could I do to make better progress? What disciplines have maybe dribbled away right now? Maybe I should bring them back. Maybe there's some new disciplines I've not been doing that maybe I could engage in and try and so forth. But it's simply a time to think about what are some opportunities for me to make things better in my spiritual disciplines and progress. Number two, our family's spiritual progress. If we have a family, we might want to ask, am I spending adequate time with the family? Am I making it the priority that I need to make it? But just note what might God bring to mind about your time with family. Number three, by reevaluating our effectiveness at school or work and our motivation, that is the motivation to work hard. So we're in work, okay. If I'm at work, am I working the way I need to walk, work? Am I working for the right motivation to honor the Lord? Or am I working just for money? What am I doing my work for? If I'm in school, why am I at school? Am I doing a good job at school? And why am I doing a good job? Is it the wrong motives? Am I not doing well in school? Whatever it is, just to reevaluate. And then 
the last, number four, by reevaluating our physical and emotional condition. This is a time to realize that, okay, God's my creator. That means that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I need to ask, am I truly making the temple what it needs to be for the dwelling of God? Am I watching my diet? Am I doing it too much? Am I doing it too little? Why am I doing it? Why am I not doing it? We can talk about our emotional health. Am I putting boundaries around me where I can keep emotionally healthy? If not, what boundaries need to be changed? And there's always the reality, am I thinking on the truth or am I allowing my feelings to direct everything I'm doing because I feel so strongly one way or the other, but it goes against the truth of God. Those are just different things. Just to sit down and say, I just want to, I want to spend time and I just want to evaluate where am I in life right now? So number two is God designed us to spend a day a week re-evaluating the present. Number three, God designed us to spend one day a week reflecting on the future. Gordon McDonald, once again, he says this, it's a time to affirm our intentions to pursue a Christ-centered tomorrow. You know what I think of that as? It's time to remember that the best is yet to come. It's a time, in my mind, to focus on glory. You know, glory is that which ultimately the full glory comes when we're with the Lord, which means we've died, or it means Jesus has come back. And the scriptures say, you know, hey, the suffering of this world, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory yet to be revealed. So I say, why don't we think more about glory? Why don't we do that? My walks, it sounds morbid, but let me tell you, it's not morbid. It's a time where I have a place, and as I enter into that area, I say, Lord, I want to think about dying right now. Let me tell you, it's getting a lot easier to think about dying now. <laughs> but that's exactly what I do. As I'm taking that walk, I ask the question, Lord, I know you're not going to give me an answer, but I'm just wondering, when am I going to die? If I live the average of the American male, I've only got a very short handful of years left. If it's, if it's 20 years from now, it's not a long time. You young people, I know you look at, you say, dying? Oh, come on, I got years and years. Who says? You might not have long at all. But here's the thing to remember, not just I'm gonna die, but I want to say to the Lord, Lord, what's it going to be like when I die? Give me a picture. Give me an idea. Let me kind of understand what I'm looking at. Do I really believe that the best is yet to come? It, I want to say, Lord, what are you going to look like? I mean, I know I'm going to be so attracted, but what are you going to look like? What, what am I going to do? The Bible doesn't give us answers to all that stuff. It's one reason I'm so thrilled, though, that we're moving into this next series that Jeff's going to start and the team, starting next week on heaven. 
Every Christian should be saying, tell me, what, what do I need to know about heaven? But it's just a great time to say, you know what? I'm just going to reflect on the future. And I mean, to some degree, the ultimate future. God, what's it going to be like just to be there with you in your heavenly home? I'll say this. It's worth getting to that window. I promise you this. It will change your perspective. I wish I could sit here and say, oh, I am the great keeper of the Sabbath. I struggle with it. And I don't expect you not to struggle with it. But that's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to struggle. I ask you young people, don't just push it aside and say, no, I still do everything I want. No, 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 he's your king. Think about what do you want me to do? Do you want me to get off the treadmill? I know you want me to get off the treadmill. Now, I know you want me to get perspective. How do I get that perspective? That I don't know. It's gonna be different for different people. But I have to close with these four important reminders. And I say I close, I wanna use an illustration at the ending. But these four quick reminders, and I'll just make them reminders. Number one, the Lord's day should not restrict but liberate. Please remember that. If you find yourself ever thinking and saying these words, what can I do on Sunday? What can I not do on Sunday? Can I do this on Sunday? Can I not do it? No, no, no. Ask the questions, yes, because I know they're the questions we're all gonna ask. But just know this, that when we do ask them, we haven't understood the Lord's day yet because we're still thinking it's restrictive. What can I do? No, it's not restrictive. It's liberating. That's the great news of it all. It's not petty rules and regulations. And I know this becomes all the harder with kids. And this generation, all the harder than ever. It's, it's, it's tremendously hard. I know when we were raising kids, we realized that there are things that are not necessarily a conviction that this is wrong to do on Sunday, but you know what? It, it's gonna take away from at all getting to the window like we need to get to the window. And you know, uh, I, I don't know, do we, do we not? And then the kids are saying, why not, why not? This is a beautiful time for bribery. <laughs> now, I do prefer to call it options, but you know, we know what it is. And this is when you can say to your kids, perhaps, hey, how about this? If you choose not to do that, and I'm gonna let you if you, but if you choose not to do this, it's not wrong if we do it, not at all. But if you choose not to, this is what I'll do for you. And you make it so attractive, they go, hmm. Okay, I like that. Next thing you know, you as the parent are having time to get to the window and peer out a little bit more. I have to use the word arbitrary because when our kids were young, I knew the discussion about our choices about the use of Sunday that weren't extremely strict, as many people would think of strict Sabbatarian, but perhaps a little stricter than most. And so the question would always come, well, why? Well, because we don't think that, but, but aren't we doing this? Well, yeah, we're doing, well, then why can't we do this? If we can do that, there's no answer to that except the word arbitrary. So I say, well, it's because it's an arbitrary decision we've made. 
What's arbitrary mean? It means I get to choose whatever I want to choose, right? But I'm going to say, I know I can't defend the line, but the line has to be drawn or we're in big trouble. We'll never get to that window. I know that. So it's a line and we've just put the line there. It has to be somewhere. Wish I could say more. Number two, the Lord's day should not be exhausting unless maybe for acts of piety, mercy, and necessity. Uh, I could take you to God's word and it'll show you that all three of those are exceptions where you're, you're gonna get tired, but you're doing things that God says, this is not what I'm talking about. You can do that in a way. You, you need to do these things. But, but outside that, you wanna be as careful as you can possibly be. Number three, the Lord's day should include corporate worship with the Christian family. And that's whenever possible. You're not gonna do that unless you've got convictions. Young people, you gotta have convictions. That's something very rare among many young people today, particularly if they are spiritual convictions. I know when Carol and I got married, we had some convictions about the Lord's Day. And so we knew that the day was coming the next day after our marriage on Saturday, that we're gonna be, we're gonna have to choose what are we, where are we gonna go, what are we gonna do? And, and we said, well, we're gonna make sure that we get to worship together on Sunday. That's a conviction we have. And so we set our time of wedding. We set our place where we would go for the, after the wedding, so midway, so we could go to church and be able to, to worship together. And we did. We thought, what a wonderful experience to start your marriage with the king of your marriage and your ultimate groom himself to worship him on the first full day of our wedding. What a great use of the day. I remember taking one of my children overseas. We went to Japan and I turned down the invitation to speak and they said, why can't I come? I said, well, I've got a family and it's gonna be, take me away from the family too much. What if we bring one of your children? I said, well, would they enjoy it? Oh, we'll give them the tree of life. They're gonna see Japan and away, blah, blah, blah. It sounded so glorious. I said, all right, I'll come. So I take the child. And I'll never forget, midway through that week, I said, you're working me to death and we hit, my son is just being dr drug along and I, I said, when's that time come for him? I said, well, it comes on Sunday, your last day here. And I said, what are we gonna do? And he told us, I said, now will we be able to go to church that day? Oh, no, 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 no. We're gonna be so far away from any church to go to these places we're gonna take you where he'll see, blah, blah, blah. I said, so you're telling me we only have two options, either we go to church or we sightsee. And I'll never forget the challenge in my heart, knowing that my son would love he didn't have my convictions. He shouldn't have my convictions at his age. And I had to say, we'll miss the sightseeing. I'll never know what that, that child thought, but I certainly hoped he'd say, at least I see my dad has convictions and he'll keep them. We need convictions. I know I, I'd rather say this than Jeff need to say it. I just want to address the streaming at home. I have benefited from streaming at home and you have, and I'm so grateful for the ability to do so. I'm all for it. But let me say, that's where Christians need to step up and say, wait, why am I doing this? I went once again to the original language and studied what does it mean? What does church mean? And it means assembly. It means gathering. And we're making now to be something when not necessary I won't gather. 
I'll just watch. And that is certainly better than nothing. But I think God intends his people to come together. Well, what's the deal? I just come and leave. That's the problem. Don't come and leave. Come and stop and talk to people around you. Meet a new brother. Meet a new sister. Find somebody else that has a need. Sit down. That's why I love having that atrium. That's why I was so for that atrium. No, let's gather. Let's sit. Let's eat. Let's talk. Let's do what. You need to be with the family of God. I sat here in this worship and I sat here and I said, I've never had this experience as rich and deep in worship as I have had at home. And I just say, it's your conscience, everybody, but just please think through it. Don't just say it's convenient and therefore. Have a reason to say, this is why God wants me at home to watch. There's some that need to be at home. Jeff didn't say that, I said that. And so, don't talk to either one of us about it, okay? (laughs) Number four, we must follow our own conscience regarding the use of the Lord's day while never imposing our conscience on others. Let me tell you, it means a different thing to every person what it means to go to the window. And because you know it takes this, this, and this to get you to the window, When you see somebody else doing this, this, and this, and therefore in your mind not going to the window, do not go there. That's their heart before the Lord. That's their, that's their, and who knows? I don't know. Please, please, please don't impose one's own conscience on somebody else. Now I need to bring it to an end. Why these commands? Why does God give these commands? I'll tell you why. He wants to protect us. Your father and your elder brother Jesus love you so much that they give commands to protect their people and say, please, you're missing too much. And a commandment comes and we see that the commandment has been violated. You know what happens? We get a little guilty. We feel badly about it which we pray and often does, leads to repentance. And that repentance leads us to Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, we see the love of Jesus in such a way, we go, wow. And then we find ourselves like the the psalmist saying, oh, I love thy law. It's my meditation all day long. I, I want your law. I want your commandments. Because this is the one I love. It's the story of our children when they're young and we give them the command, brush your teeth daily, use deodorant daily. And they, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't, why do I have to do it? Why do I have to do it? And they fight and they fight and they fight. And all of a sudden they start brushing those teeth and they start using the deodorant. You know, they just met a boy. They just met a girl, somebody. <laughs> I say love will change the experience of commandment every time. And so don't go to the commandment simply because I got to do it. If you're saying that, know that you haven't yet met Jesus as you want to meet Jesus. Pursue him at all costs. Kids, I want to, I want to close my time just saying a word to you guys, young people. You know, we've got a problem today, as you know. We all have this problem, not just you, but it's selective obedience. We obey what we want to obey, and we disobey what we want to disobey, and we 
even if God says it, we just, that's a tendency. We, we're, we have selective obedience. I want to tell a story that impacted me years ago. I was speaking at a conference in Asia. In the conference, I got roomed with an elderly man. And I found out that this man had been the roommate in a prison camp in Japan with a man named Eric Liddell. You might not know his name. I was familiar with it only for the reason that this man had had a movie made about his athletic career. The movie was in 1981. It, it won the Academy Award for best movie. It told his story. He was a man who had a conviction about the Lord's Day. He was the fastest sprinter in the world, they assumed, certainly that Scotland had ever known. And when he finished his college career, uh, he chose with the persuasion of many saying, don't, don't, don't. you got too much going for you. He said, I'm going to Japan. I'm going to be a missionary in Japan. And he did. Soon after that, the 24 Olympics that were going to be held in Paris were finding their team, the U.S. team, and they said, uh, Eric, we want you to come back and we want you to go through the trials and so forth here. To, so you'll be on our team. You're our greatest hope to ever win. We've never won an Olympic medal. You're our greatest hope ever. He chose to come home. He trained. He got ready. Certainly made the team. And everybody assumed this is the guy that's going to win the 100 meter. He got there to Paris. They got ready to do the first heats. And they announced that they would be on Sunday. But Eric Liddell had made a commitment to the Lord. He didn't compete on Sunday. His conscience, not to say he was too tight, not to say that's what God led him to do. And now he had to decide, what do I do? He said, you know, I'm not going to run. To the disappointment of all, he said, I'm not going to run. And instead he preached a sermon that Sunday while the race was going on. He chose to preach the word of God at a church. Well, he decided that he would see if he could maybe make it in the 400 meter, which was not a strong suit for him. And so he, he got the privilege to earn the right to be able to run in it. And so he's in the finals and one of his teammates, uh, somebody that worked with him closely on the team came to him and they simply handed him a piece of paper. And on that paper, it was 1 Samuel 2.30. It says, he that honors me, the Lord, I will honor. That's all it said. He got in the blocks. He took off on a event he shouldn't have won and he broke a world record and won the first ever medal first Olympic medal gold medal for Scotland so I find out that I'm rooming with his roommate in a war camp in Japan and I said tell me about Eric Little and he told me the story of Eric Little's life. He told me about what he was like in the prison camp. And everything I had assumed of him, I found to be true and beyond. And I'll never forget this. I said then, I want to be like Eric Little. I want to have convictions. And I'll tell you, young people, you get convictions. And you stand above all the others.
Let them say what they want to say. Let them do what they want to do. But you just say, I'm going to be a person of conviction. Eric Little, he was honored. Not by winning a medal. He was honored by going to glory in that prison camp because he stood faithful in who he was. You do that and you watch what God will do. Don't do it just to be a person of conviction. Do it because you love your Lord Jesus. And he's called you to that conviction. May God bless you in a very difficult time. Love for you to pick up. You have to pay for it. I don't even know how much it is. I get no money for it. But a little book I just came out with called The Remedy for a Disordered Life. It'll be in our bookstores. Feel free to run in there and grab one if you want one. It's a little short book. It's for you that don't read very much. It's just 60 pages. So anybody can read it. But it'll say what I've said today with a little bit more, obviously. But may God grant this congregation to be a people who rest and find perspective all because of a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you grant us to be a people who see Jesus, fall in love with him, in a bigger and better way, or maybe for the first time, even so that your commandments would be as David said, oh, how I love thy commandments. They are my delight all the day. May we delight in keeping your day. May you change us, give us perspective, give us rest, we ask. And may as a result of that, that we glorify you as our God. So we love you, we thank you, we pray it in the great name of our Savior Jesus, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.